0: Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity we have to study your word. First of all, we say thank you for being so faithful, 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 faithful. Thank you for honoring the dream and honoring the words that came out of our heart that you put on the inside of us. Thank you, Father, that we've learned so many lessons. We've been so many through ups and downs and battles and victories. and, And here we are still standing, giving honor and glory to God, still in love with Jesus, still in love with my wife, still in love with God's people, still working strong on the inside of us. And we say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Look what the Lord has done. We'll be so careful to give you all the honor, all the glory and praise, because you're the only one that's worthy of it all. We thank you for your word. It's about to go forth. We thank you it comes forth with, with power and authority and with simplicity so that we can immediately apply it to our lives and immediately, Lord God, use it for your honor and for your glory. We thank you, Father, that our hearts are open here in the room and those of us joining at church at home. We thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. We love you. We appreciate you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Welcome to part number eight, our final part in our series, Love Thy Neighbor. Um, I want to thank all of you for, and so many of you, for your comments, your text messages, your emails, um, what you've said. It's really been one of those series in due season, hasn't it? It's been really good for us. It's been a good reminder for us as a church, a good reminder for us to understand. Last week we talked about unity, uh, how to be united. We talked about Um, the three building blocks of unity, uh, one enemy, one heart, one purpose. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that and the rest of them because they really have been very helpful to, to all of us. And today I want to talk about how do we protect this anointing? So protecting our unity, protecting our unity. Unity in the church is so important that the New Testament gave attention to this aspect of unity, more than any other subject, think about it, more than even the subject of heaven and hell. God so deeply wants us to enjoy the joys and the stability that comes by being united. We have so many wonderful examples in the Bible, and the supreme model that we have of unity is the Trinity, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who have this perfect unity and this oneness and God obviously as our 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 ex- extreme example of unity that he is all sacrificial love and this supreme harmony that he walks in just like every parent our heavenly father enjoys watching his children get along with each other absolutely and in his final moments before being arrested Jesus was passionate about unity, and he passionately prayed for not only his disciples, but he took the time to pray for you and me. And he says this in John 17, and this was our key verse, John 17, verse 20 and 23, says... I have a hum in the in the monitor, if you can fix that for me, Nate. Thank you. Um, it's distracting. Appreciate it. Uh, verse 20 says... I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be all will be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Verse 22. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you in me may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me powerful verses you know we've always have gone to Jesus to ask him to answer our prayers as i said last week we have a unique opportunity to be his answer to prayer and i take that very serious jesus prayed for something specific And obviously, as we talked about last week, how he gave us the ability and the power, the help of the Holy Spirit to make sure that this happens. Jesus said, my prayer to all people who would follow me is that we would all be one. What an enormous prayer. What a prayer that seems so impossible and seems so difficult to experience when we know what's happening around the world and in churches in general. It was our unity that was utmost on his mind during those agonizing hours before his arrest that shows us how significant this subject actually is. When you think about it, of all the things that Jesus was doing, all the things that were now in front of him, that he would take on the sin of mankind, past, present, and future, and that he would deal a deadly blow um, to sin, sickness, and disease, and, and the, the stronghold of sin in our lives. And here he prays a very specific prayer. Now, here's our big takeaway for today. Nothing on earth is more valuable to God than his church. He paid the highest price for it, and he wants it protected, especially from the devastating damage that is caused by division, conflict, and harmony. That's a powerful statement. That's a big um, takeaway, a big package for us to unpack here this morning to help you understand. See, unity is the soul of fellowship. Destroy it and you rip out the heart of Christ's body. It is the essence, the core of how God intends for us to experience life together in the church and for us to reach people that are far from God. Now, Let me be direct today, because this message is going to be quite direct. Let me be direct today. If you are a part of God's family and you call IFC your church home, it is your responsibility to protect our unity. You have been commissioned by Jesus Christ to do everything possible to preserve the unity, protect the fellowship, and promote harmony here at IFC. Wow. That's a big responsibility. And it's important that you hear me say that to you. It's important that you realize the team that we must be that's going to require for us to protect the unity here at International Family Church. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.3, it says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Effort. That means there's a lot of effort and a lot of work that needs to be done in order to, put, to produce the unity that, that Jesus prayed for and he died for. So how do we do this? How do we protect the unity of our church? Well, the Bible gives us some practical advice, and let's go through that in the next few minutes. Number one, focus on what we have in common, not our differences. Focus on what we have in common, not our differences. Romans 14, 19 in the Phillips translation says, Let us concentrate on the things which make for harmony and on the growth of one another's character. Amen. See, as believers, we share one Lord, one body, um, one purpose, one Father, one Spirit, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one love, Absolutely, we share the same salvation, the same life, we share the same futures, factors that are far more important than any differences that we could enumerate, amen. These are issues, these are the issues, these are what we focus on, not our personal differences, and then that We should concentrate on those at all. We should focus on the fact of who we are in Christ and the assignment that he's given every local church. We must remember that it was God who chose to make us different. It was God who chose to make us have different personalities and different experiences and different races and different preferences. So we should value and enjoy the differences, not merely tolerate them. God wants unity, not uniformity. We said that last week. For, for the sake of unity, we must never let division divide us. We must always stay focused on what matters most and learning to love others as Christ loved us and knowing that we should be discovering our purpose and walking in the purposes of, of, for our lives and the purpose of the local church. Conflict is usually a sign that that our focus has shifted to less important issues. Usually when there's conflict, it's because we are no longer majoring on the majors. We've now started to major on the minors. The Bible calls them disputable matters. And when we focus on personalities, preference, interpretations, styles, methods, division always happens. Come on, can I hear an amen today? But if we concentrate on loving others and fulfilling God's promise, it's amazing what God can accomplish in our lives. Paul pleaded for this in 1 Corinthians 1.10. He said, let there be real harmony so there won't be divisions in the church. I plead with you to be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Wow, that takes work, doesn't it? How do we protect our church? Number two, be realistic in your expectations. Be realistic about your expectations. Once you discover what God intends, to, what, we're, what real fellowship is to be, it's easy to become discouraged because there's a big gap between the ideal and the real. See, when you begin to really understand church, you begin to really understand the people around you. You begin to realize that there is this ideal that Jesus died for, this ideal that he prayed for, and that every one of us have to live the real. And if we're not careful, whatever size gap that is, we could become discouraged and become disillusioned by the fact that there is a work to be done. Yet we must passionately love our church in spite of our imperfections. Think about this. Longing for the ideal while criticizing the real is evidence of immaturity. On the other hand, settling for the real without striving for the ideal is complacency. Maturity is living within that tension. That tension between the real and the ideal It takes maturity to live there. It takes maturity to understand there's imperfections. It takes maturity to realize that not everybody is going to act the same way and have the same desires and have the same focus and be in that place. And and neither do we want immaturity or complacency. We want to have enough ability to say, there's a tension here in the middle, and I'm willing to do it and be a part of it for the sake of answering the prayer of Jesus. How many are with me today? People many times are chased away by that tension. They're chased away by the, the difference. They don't get it. They're looking for perfection or they're looking for something that does not exist. And other believers will disappoint you and let you down. And it could be an excuse for you to no longer want a fellowship with them. You are family. And even when we don't like it, that's not the time to walk out on family. Family does not walk out on family. And the only reason why people would walk out is because they don't get family. Their own family walked out on them. And when you understand family, even though there's differences, man, when you're really family, you might not always appreciate, you might not always value some of the differences, but we're family. Right? We're family. God tells us in Ephesians 4.2, he says to us, be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. That's the whole purpose of love your neighbor. Amen. This filter, this this lens that we look through. Amen. See, we we must passionately love the church in spite of its imperfections. Amen. People become disillusioned with the church and... for many understandable reasons. Excuse me. The list will be quite long. Conflict and hurt and hypocrisy and racism and neglect and pettiness and legalism and so many other sins. And rather than being shocked and surprised, we must remember that we are made up of real people who are in the process of working out their salvation. Instead of being shocked by all that, we should allow love to really bridge the gaps that we find so that we can walk together in God's purpose. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who was martyred for resisting the Nazis, wrote this amazing book called Life Together, and in it he writes this, Disillusionment with our local church is a good thing because it destroys our false expectations of perfection. The sooner we give up the illusion that a church must be perfect in order to love it, the sooner we quit pretending and start admitting we're all imperfect and need grace. This is the beginning of real community. Wow. That's a powerful statement. Amen. Go ahead. Yeah, give praise for it because it's true. It's a powerful statement. The quicker we give up that delusion the quicker we give up this perfect picture. You know, so many people, that's why they're online, they they have this perfect picture of their family and they only post the the most perfect illustrations of what's going on and the perfect meal and the perfect date and the perfect opportunity. And so we bring this delusionment, this bling this into the church, this ideal of perfection. And as soon as we take the shine off that, then we can get busy. We can get busy working together. We can get busy realizing that that my brother and sister, as much as I am one with them, man, we are so, so different. So we must understand that we have to watch our level of expectation. How do we protect the unity of our church? Number three, choose to encourage rather than criticize. Choose to encourage rather than criticize. It's easy to stand on the sidelines and take shots and be the Monday morning quarterback when you weren't in the game. It's a lot harder to throw shots at people when you're right there in the midst of us. It's harder. It's, man, it's when we're together in this, working side by side. Man, we realize there are issues. We realize there are are problems. We realize there might be limitations. And when we're working together, man, it's not so easy to shoot at each other, amen, and compare and judge and criticize because when we criticize one another, uh, for someone who's in faith and has a strong conviction we are interfering with God's business. Romans 14:4 says, what right do you have to criticize someone else's servant? Only their lord can decide if they are doing right. Wow. So we got to watch the judgment. Watch the whole aspect of accusing each other and being in that place. Remember your family, they're not the enemy. I'm not your enemy. You're not my enemy, right? We have one enemy. We talked about that last week, right? The devil who tries to still kill and destroy. Let's move on. How do we protect the unity of our church? Number four, refuse to listen to gossip. Refuse to listen to gossip. Gossip is passing on information when you are neither part of the problem nor are you part of the solution. <laughs> You know spreading gossip is wrong and and you know that you shouldn't even listen to it. If you want to protect our church, we've got to recognize that there is a limit that we have to draw the line because listening to gossip is like accepting stolen property and it makes you just as guilty of the crime. When somebody begins to gossip, you need to have the courage to say, you know what, please stop. I don't want to hear this you need to go directly to the person that that involves, right? Because you know when somebody really doesn't want an answer, they don't go to the people who have the answers. They go to somebody else who doesn't have the answers because they're obviously not looking for answers. They're looking to stir up all kinds of things, right? See, it's amazing how sad it is when God's flock, uh, that the greatest casualties that happen are not from wolves. They're from sheep. Paul warned about cannibal Christians. They devour one another and they destroy fellowship. And the fastest way to put a conflict down, whether in church or a small group, would be what? Lovingly confront them and insist that they stop it. Amen. Proverbs 26, 20 says, Fire goes out for lack of fuel and tensions disappear when gossip starts. Wow. Now this next point is going to sound a little self-serving. And you know my heart, and my heart is not for it to be. But when it comes to protecting our unity, it needs to be said. So how do we protect the unity of our church? Number five, support your pastors and leaders. I thought I'd get a better amen than that. Um, support, (laughs) Support your pastors and leaders. Amen. See, there are no perfect leaders, and but God God gives leaders the responsibility and the authority to maintain the unity in the church. It's always an unpleasant responsibility when staff, pastors, and and leaders have to confront issues of interpersonal relationships. It's never an easy task, but we are highly motivated to do our best to do it with love and compassion. Why? Because the Bible is clear that one day we as leaders will stand before God and give an account for how. How well we watched over your souls. Wow. It guides me all all the time. My goodness, because Hebrews 13, 17, this one portion says, They keep watch over you as men and women who must give an account. So there's an accounting day coming of how I treat you and how our pastoral team and how our leaders treat you. But the Bible is also crystal clear that this accountability is a two-way street. Every person that calls IFC their home is also accountable, as well. You will also give an account to God on how well you followed your leaders. Thank you for your enthusiasm. You were quick to clap. You are quick, <laughs> quick to clap when I was accountable. Yeah, that's right, Pastor. You're accountable. Well, let me do this to you. Yeah, that's right. You're accountable too. Amen. It's a two-way street. Amen. Hebrews 13, 17 says this in the Message Bible. Be responsive to your pastoral leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. Contribute to the joy of their leadership, not to its drudgery. Why would you want to make things harder for them? And to that I say a big amen. Amen. How do we protect the unity of our church? Last but not least, be quick to repent, quick to forgive, and quick to believe. That's so important. Let me explain. What does this mean? To be quick to repent means when I sin and miss a mark, I need to go to God and thank God that I can ask for forgiveness and repent for my sin. Be quick to forgive when others sin against me. I need to be quick to forgive them. For if I don't forgive them, then I'm not going to be forgiven for my sin, the Bible says. Be quick to believe when I refuse to allow my heart to become hard and cynical. Wow. See, I want to believe the best of of people. I want to believe the word of God when it comes forth. I want to believe God's voice when I hear it. We need to be quick to believe. People who are not quick to believe can develop a cynical heart. I want, to, I want to have the simplicity of a child to believe that when God tells me something, I believe it. Amen. When we work together and God gives an assignment, I want to be quick to believe that because I don't want a hard heart. And I work hard. My wife and I and our team, we work hard not to have hard, cynical hearts. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and helpful to one another tenderhearted, compassionate, understanding, forgiving one another, ready and freely, just as God in Christ also forgave you. I want to challenge you to accept the responsibility of protecting the unity of International Family Church. Put your full effort into it. Amen. And God will be well pleased. Amen. It won't be easy. And sometimes we have to think, what's best for the body of Christ? What's best for IFC? And recognize that God puts us in a family to learn unselfishness. In community, we learn to say we instead of I. We learn to say our instead of mine. Amen. And thank God for that. What are you doing personally to make IFC more loving and warm? People are looking for a family. They're looking for love. They're looking to belong. And we have a part to play in making sure that we, we work hard, those of us that this is our home, that we are warm and loving. Because I tell you what, when you have a warm, loving church, you're gonna to have to lock the church doors for people to wanna to come in, right? Or COVID, one or the other. Um, but, but the point remains is we have a job to do. We have a responsibility. And I wanna ask you to take on this responsibility more than ever. We're about to go into some probably the darkest days our nation has ever experienced. I'm sure the church. I'm sure individuals. I'm sure uh, the 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 challenge that lies before us. We will be stretched like never before. I believe why this series, Love Thy Neighbor, has been so important and so real to focus us as a church. Here in the room and those watching at home, we must recognize that there is work to be done. There's a plan to be accomplished. And we must recognize that because our takeaway said, nothing on earth is more valuable to God than his church. He paid the highest price for it. He wants to protect it especially from the devastating damage that is caused by division, conflict, and disharmony.